seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you turn there, just would reiterate uh, what Josh mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, this resource that we're making available to you of the discussion guide. Uh, historically, we've just done that on evenings when we've had scheduled home fellowship, but we're going to make that available every week as a resource for you. Uh, and on these free Sunday evenings, uh, you are more than welcome to, to get your group together, to gather around the Word and talk about how to apply it to your life. Uh, it's something you can use with a, a smaller group of folks, something you can use in your family worship, uh, maybe around the dinner table as you talk about the sermon and reflect and ask how uh, the Word can apply to your life. Uh, or it's something you can use in your personal devotions as you're reflecting on what the Lord said in His Word. Uh, you can ask these questions of yourself and uh, seek to apply the Word of God to your life. So those are going to be available, the discussion guides, application questions, are going to be available on our website uh, attached to the, the sermon in the sermon player uh, under the resources button. So uh, hopefully uh, you find that helpful and um, want to make sure you knew about that. Let's read Ephesians 1, and we're going to start in verse 15 and go to the end of the chapter. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us, who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, during the Christmas season, um, Alyssa and I watched a number of Christmas movies, as I'm sure you all did. Uh, one of the ones we watched was the classic It's a Wonderful Life. And in case you're one of the few people who haven't seen it, or maybe it's been a while and you need a refresher, let me remind you what, uh, what is the plot of this movie. So It's a Wonderful Life centers on George Bailey, and George Bailey has come to a crisis mo uh, moment in his life. He uh, is a co-owner of a building and loan uh, with his uncle, and his uncle lost a large sum of money. And that was going to lead to scandal and bankruptcy and even prison for both uh, George and his uncle. So George was so dismayed that he was contemplating suicide. 
So the angels in heaven uh, send George's guardian angel, Clarence, to go down and intervene in George's situation. Clarence finds the distraught George, and George says to Clarence, I I wish I had never been born. So Clarence says, okay, you get your wish. And he shows George what life would be like if he had never born, what the world would be like if George Bailey had never been born. And he shows him how all of the lives that his life did touch were were not touched, and they were worse off because George had never been born. Uh, His wife uh, never married. His little brother had died because George had not been there to save his life. His uncle had gone insane, and, and really the whole town was worse off because George had not been born. And this was a wake-up call that George needed because he couldn't see how wonderful his life really was. And Clarence came to show him how good he had it. Well, in our passage this morning, in this prayer of Paul, I believe God wants to show you how good you have it in Christ. I believe God wants to open our eyes to see how good we have it in Christ. Or if you've never trusted in Jesus, how good it could be for you if you give your life to Jesus. In this passage, after the previous passage, the opening of this chapter, that recounted a number of spiritual blessings, Paul turns his attention now to thanking the Lord for his readers And praying that these blessings that he has praised God for in the first part of chapter 1 would really take root and take heart in his readers. And that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see how amazing and life-changing these blessings are. God wants to show you how good you have it in Christ. And the first thing we need to understand from this passage to that end is we can't see unless God opens our eyes. We can't see how good we have it in Christ unless God opens our eyes. We can't see the blessings of the gospel and how great they are and how much they would change our lives unless God himself opens our eyes. Look with me again at verse 17. First of all, Paul is praying. And just the fact that he is praying to God tells us that this is something that Paul can't do, his readers can't do on their own. This must take God's activity. Paul asks that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. If we are to have this insight, this enlightenment, the Father must give the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important we don't misunderstand that word, give. Uh, Paul had already made it clear in verses 13 and 14 that these believers had the Holy Spirit. Everyone who trusts in Christ receives the Holy Spirit who is with us forever. So he's not praying that God would give his readers the Holy Spirit as if they didn't have him. What he's praying is that God would enable them to experience the Holy Spirit in a specific way. And we can see that in the way that he describes the Holy Spirit. The description he gives is the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would be a source of wisdom for his readers that the Holy Spirit would reveal God to them, that they would increase in their knowledge of God, not not just the knowledge of information, but the knowledge of experience, like you know a person. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal 
the truth of the gospel to us. We need the Holy Spirit when we're dead in our sins to awaken our hearts and open our eyes. But even as believers, as those who have faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward all the saints, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes if we are going to understand how good we have it in Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul discusses this idea a little bit more here, and I think there's some key uh, phrases in here that would give us insight. First Corinthians chapter two, starting in verse nine. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Let me read that one again. We have received the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. if I was to boil that down, God, in this text and in our text this morning in Ephesians 1, wants us to understand the amazing things that, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, God freely gave to us. But we cannot understand apart from the Holy Spirit. They are spiritually discerned. So we need the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, to give us supernatural sight. God must give us the ability to to see. So if it's true that we can't see the amazing blessings of the gospel apart from the Holy Spirit, then there, there's an implication of this truth I want us to draw out. And that is, we must not settle for our own understanding of the gospel. We must not settle for our own current understanding of the gospel. Those of us who have walked with the Lord uh, for a long time, are particularly vulnerable here. Uh, so I was saved at a really young age. I was saved at the age of five. And so I have trusted, uh, I trusted Jesus then. I, I've walked with the Lord a long time. I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up in Sunday school. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard, Sunday school lessons I've heard, gospel presentations I've heard. Uh, I can't tell you how many you know, times I've, I've read the Bible and um, I've, I've preached the gospel. I, I've had spiritual conversations, been in small groups. And with all of that, 
the Lord has shown me some amazing stuff. It's a huge gift from God. He has shown me things in the word. He has given me lessons. He has taught me truths of the gospel. But here's the danger. Because I have seen a lot, I'm tempted to think that I've seen enough. I'm tempted to just settle for my current understanding and say, all right, I, you know, Holy Spirit has been really great up until this point, but I think I pretty much got a handle on it now, so I don't really need the Holy Spirit anymore. So when I have that mindset, when I have that uh, mentality and I pr- approach the scriptures in my personal worship, uh, I don't see uh, new insights that the Holy Spirit would give me. I, I just bring to the table uh, and rehearse these things that I've learned before. And, and I, I think, oh, I've got this passage figured out. I know what it says. I'm just bringing in all these things that I had already learned. Or when I'm go- coming to preach or teach, it's dangerous because I, I come to the table not dependent on the Holy Spirit to give me insight and to then share that insight, but just coming with my treasure chest of lessons learned in the past, and I come to the table, and, oh, yeah, I've, I, I've seen this passage before. Here, let me just throw you some of these things that I've learned in the past. And, and not that those things aren't valuable, but... The posture that the Lord would have for us is dependent on the Holy Spirit. Because if we are to see the depths of the gospel and the blessings that Jesus has given us in the cross and in his resurrection, God, the Holy Spirit, must open our eyes. We must depend on him to see these glorious truths. So may Paul's prayer for his readers be our prayer for ourselves that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of God because God wants to show us how good we have it in Christ. So what is it that God wants to show us? That God has given us amazing blessings in Christ. God has given us amazing blessings in Christ. And last week we looked at the first half of Ephesians 1, where Paul praises God for all the amazing ways that God has blessed us. And if you weren't here, I would highly recommend you go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Read those first 14 glorious verses and meditate on them and see all of the blessings that Paul talks about there. But in this passage that we're in this morning, Paul highlights three blessings specifically that he wants the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to be able to understand. And the first of those three blessings is hope. Paul says in verse 18 that he wants the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we would know what is the hope to which he has called us. God has called us to hope. This term calling is often used in Scripture to describe uh, conversion. So, uh, Paul, or Peter will say that God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? Or we can see a picture of this uh, in the raising of Lazarus, when Jesus calls to Lazarus, and Lazarus raises from the dead and comes out of the tomb. That's what God did for us. He called us out of death and into life. He called us out of our former lifestyle into a new lifestyle, out of slavery, and called us into freedom. And here, Paul says, is emphasizing the fact that God called us to a hope and out of hopelessness. It's important that as we see this word hope, we understand how good this word is, that we don't misunderstand it, because this is, this is more than a, 
I hope I get married someday kind of hope. It's not just a strong desire. It's also not just that, well, you know, life's hard, but I still have hope kind of hope. It's not just some sort of a vague optimism. No, when Paul says that we've been called to a hope, he has in mind a certain future reality. Not something just kind of abstract, something concrete. Not something that is just wishful thinking, but something that is absolutely true for everyone who is in Christ. So what is this future reality? What is this hope to which he has called us? This certain future reality is that we will be with Jesus forever. We will be with Jesus forever. We will experience his soul-satisfying presence. We will, as John says, be like him because we will see him as he is. We will have eternal life. We will be free from the corruption of sin, free from sadness, free from suffering, free from pain. He will make all things new. And as Paul will say in the next chapter, he will be lavishing the immeasurable riches of his grace on us for all of eternity. Jesus is our hope. So, we don't have to lose heart, even in suffering. When we lose those that we love in Christ, we grieve, but as Paul says, not as those without hope. We may live in pain now. We may live in sickness now. We may not experience relief this side of heaven, but as Paul says in Romans 5, we can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces Hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can also have confidence in our destiny in Christ even as we cannot see what the future holds in the short term. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Neither do you. But I know that according to Romans 8, because I am called according to his purpose, God has designed everything in my life to make me more like Jesus. He is working all things together for that good to make me, to conform me more into the image of his son. Do you see how good we have it in Christ? The first blessing God wants to know in this passage is hope, the hope he has called us to, and the second is the riches of his inheritance. You see this in verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So last week, we talked briefly about this idea of inheritance. Specifically, we talked about the inheritance that God would give us in Christ. God united us to Christ. Christ is the, the firstborn, we said. So God has made us heirs with Christ. 
But there's another aspect of this concept of inheritance that Paul emphasizes here that's really key. So as you look throughout Scripture about this idea of inheritance, if the word inheritance comes up in Scripture, typically it's, a, it's in the Old Testament where God is promising the promised land to Israel. So I will give you this land as your inheritance. So he's promising the land, and then he's giving them instructions about how to divvy up the land between the 12 tribes. And then he's giving them their inheritance as they, in the conquest of uh, Canaan. So that's the, that's the main emphasis. However, in the middle of a lot of these instructions about the inheritance that God would give his people, we see in Deuteronomy 4.20 this. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. The Lord gives his people an inheritance, yes. But the Lord's people are his inheritance. The Lord's people are God's inheritance. And that's what Paul is praying that we would know. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So, okay, so why is that significant? Well, what we see here is that if you've trusted in Jesus, you belong to him. God values you. To use a term that's often used in Scripture to describe God's people, you are His treasured possession. God purchased you with the blood of His Son. As we saw last week, God chose you, not because you were holy, but in order to make you holy. God adopted you as His child. Not because he needed you, but because he wanted you. God is lavishing grace on us in Christ. And if you have trusted in Christ, God united you to Jesus. So that when he looks at you, he doesn't see how unworthy you were apart from Christ. He sees you as worthy as Christ. When we trust in Jesus, God washes us of our unworthiness and wraps us in the worthiness of Christ. Our old self is crucified with Christ and we have a new identity in him and God values us. We are his treasured possession. We become a part of the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You don't have to keep trying to prove that you're worth something if you're in Christ. The cross has already proved it. Your worth is not found in your performance. Your worth is found in Christ's performance on your behalf. Your worth is not found in your 401k. Your worth is found in being a part of the wealth of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Your worth is not found in what other people say about you. Your worth is found in what God says about you in Christ. God values you in Christ. Do you see how good 
we have it in Christ. The first blessing that God wants us to know in this passage is the hope that he has called us to. The second is the riches, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And the third is his power. See this in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? On Wednesday nights with our students, we're talking about the attributes of God. And this past Wednesday, we talked about how God is infinite. He cannot be measured. He's without limits. And here specifically, we see that God has immeasurable, infinite power. Power so great that we couldn't measure it if we tried. And he has used that power for our benefit. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Who believe. So how has God demonstrated his power toward us? Well, we see it first in verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Have you ever considered the power of death? Until Jesus, death had a perfect record. Death was undefeated. But then Jesus comes and he goes toe-to-toe with death and he wins he conquers death so that anyone who trusts in him can be raised to new life just as he was not only spiritual new life but also a physical resurrection in the last day god used his immeasurable power to raise christ from the dead and that power toward us comes when we trust in christ we're united to him and we're raised with christ but that's not all god didn't just raise jesus from the dead he also exalted jesus we see the resurrection of jesus but we also see the exaltation of jesus paul says in verse 20 he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places In Scripture, the right hand of God is a seat of honor, and it's a seat of authority. Uh, Earlier we read from Acts 2, uh, which was quoting Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, it's a psalm about the Messiah that David wrote, and he says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. God has exalted Jesus to his right hand, to a place of authority above all other authority in heaven and on earth. And notice that Paul describes this seat of authority at his right hand as far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In case you have any doubt, if there's any, <laughs> any other power Jesus is far above all rule and authority. He's above every name that is named. There is no title that outranks the Son of God. I don't care if it's president or prime minister or chancellor or crown prince or queen or king or accuser or serpent or dragon or beast or adversary or tempter or prince of the power of the air. No title on earth or in heaven, 
outranks the title that Jesus has been given. He is far above all other names. And God has put all things under his feet. He has given him his head over all things. And what's amazing about this, if you look at verse 22, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. God has given absolute authority to Jesus and he has given Jesus to us. As the body of Christ, we are given the privilege of experiencing the fullness, as Paul says here, the fullness of Jesus. We get to experience the fullness of his resurrection power. And we get to experience the fullness of his authority over all things. God gave Jesus power over the universe for our benefit. Do you know what it's like to have someone with power use their power for your benefit? When my family lived in Jacksonville, Florida, we were part of a church with a couple named Derek and Julie. And Derek and Julie had been married for several years, wanted to have children, uh, but they discovered that they were unable to have children. So they wanted to adopt, and the Lord put on their hearts a desire to adopt a little girl from China. And as they looked into the process, they discovered uh, that it was, it was quite an intense process. The wait time at that time was seven years and counting. There was a ton of uh, red tape that they had to go through, uh, but they pressed forward and started the process, all the paperwork that they had to work through, all the appointments that they had to uh, make. Well, at that time that Derek and Julie were beginning that process of adoption, Julie's brother was serving as a Marine in Iraq. And he was shot by a sniper and nearly lost his life. He miraculously was able to be uh, resuscitated by his fellow Marines, and uh, again, miraculously, was able to be brought back to the States, uh, to Bethesda. Well, of course, Julie and uh, the rest of his family, the uh, rest of her brother's family, uh, made multiple trips to go be with her brother. And uh, while she was at Bethesda on one of those trips, President George W. Bush, who was president at the time, came to visit the hospital where her brother uh, was recovering. And he came because uh, he was awarding her brother, and four others with a purple heart. And so the president uh, interacts with the first four recipients, presents them their medals. He comes to uh, Julie's brother and presents him with his medal. And afterward, he stayed in his room and uh, just visited with their family for a while. And so the president goes down the line and introduces himself to all of the different family members. And when he gets to Julie and asks her to tell him about herself, uh, she mentioned that she was married with no children, uh, but that her husband and her were trying to adopt a little girl from China. Well, when she said that, in her words, the president lit up. And he said, did you know that my father was the ambassador to China? And not only that, he uh, had friends who had been adopting from China. So he knew the process well and how difficult it was. And not only that, he was the president of the United States of America. So he says to Julie, I want to give you, I want to see if I can try and get you a daughter from China. 
and, and Julia is just taken aback, and she says, no, you know, thank you, Mr. President. No, no, I, listen, we'll, we will wait wi- just along with everyone. We're fine with waiting. And said, no, no, no. Your brother sacrificed his life, or laid down his life um, for his country. We want to give this to you. We want this to be our gift to your family. We're going to get you a daughter from China. So that was Memorial Day, and in December, they were holding their little girl, uh, whose name was Cherish. So Julie said that she felt so unworthy because her brother was the one who made the sacrifice, but she was the one who was benefiting from it. And here, the president, the most powerful man on earth, used his power for her benefit. And if you think that's amazing, just think about what we have in Christ. Julie felt unworthy. But how much more unworthy are we of the benefits that we receive from the gospel? Julie's brother made a huge sacrifice. How much greater, though, is the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we would benefit? And yes, the most powerful man on earth used his power for their benefit, but how much infinitely greater is the power that God has worked for us in Christ, for our eternal joy. He has worked his power toward us. He's given us power over death. He's given us power in the Holy Spirit. He's given us power to put sin to death. He's given us power to live for him. He's given us power to ensure that nothing will ever separate us from his love. He will use his power to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He has used his infinite power for our benefit. So, we don't have to fear any other power, ultimately. If you're in Christ, you don't have to fear the power of death. The God who raised Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead. You don't have to fear the power of human government. Human government has power, but only limited power. The government can take away property. It can take away our privacy. And in some cases, governments may even take our earthly lives. But no human government can threaten our heavenly inheritance. You don't have to fear also spiritual powers. There are real spiritual powers at work against us. And make no mistake, they are stronger than you or I are. However, their power does not compare to the God who is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you see? Do you see how good we have it? In Christ. Well, I hope that what you've seen as we've looked at this passage is that when Paul is praying here, that the Holy Spirit would give his readers deeper insight into the blessings of the gospel, he is not asking the Holy Spirit for additional blessings. It's not as though the gospel's pretty good, but we need something else. God has already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
if we experience spiritual longing or dissatisfaction, our problem is not that we need more blessings. Our problem is we need to understand how good the blessings are that God has already given us in Christ. God does not want us to move past the gospel. He wants to take us deeper into the riches of his gospel. He wants to take us deeper into our knowledge of the hope that he has called us to so that our confidence in the future would fuel our faith in him in the present. God wants to take us deeper into our knowledge of the riches of his glorious inheritance. He wants us to know the great value that he places on us because we are in Christ so that it would shape our identity and that we wouldn't go looking elsewhere for affirmation. God wants to take us deeper into our knowledge of the power that he has worked toward us in Christ by defeating death, exalting Christ, giving him the name that's above every other title, putting all things under his feet, giving him as the head of all things in the universe to you and me. He wants us to know how good we have it in Christ. And may the Holy Spirit give us supernatural insight into these things. But maybe you're here today and you can't be reminded of how good you have it in Christ because you don't know Jesus. Maybe you hear me talking about hope, but all you feel is hopelessness. Hear us talking about how much God values his people, but you feel worthless. Maybe you hear me talking about God's power toward his people, but you feel like he is against you and not for you. Well, what you need to know is that the true God, the one true God, the creator of the universe, wants to give you hope. He wants you to be part of his glorious inheritance. He wants to exercise his power. He wants to be for you and not against you. But your sin separates you from this God. All of us on our own are separated from God because we've chosen to live for ourselves instead of living for God. And there's nothing that we can do on our own to make this right. There's no amount of good deeds that we can do. We, we can't change ourselves. We in ourselves cannot fix our condition. We need a Savior, and God sent one. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life we never could have lived so that if we trust in him, his righteousness can be applied us. He sent him to die the death that we deserved so that if we trust in him, we could have our punishment put on Christ instead of us. He sent Jesus to raise from the grave so that if we trust in him, we can have eternal life with him forever. And God exalted Christ to his right hand. So if we trust in him, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. All of this can be yours if you turn to Jesus. If you turn from your empty life, if you turn from the sin that you love, if you turn from the death that you're living in, if you turn from living for yourself and you turn to Jesus. It is a free gift that God is extending to you right now and it's yours for the taking by faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father,
you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And for that, we give you praise. You are the worthy God, the one who is worthy of it all. And so even now, as we reflect on your word, Lord, would our hearts erupt in worship for all that you are and all that you've done. And I do, Lord, pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to see how good we have it in Christ, to see that we already have everything we need in Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who does not have the hope of Jesus, who does not belong to your inheritance, who does not know the power that you work toward those who trust in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would not leave here without trusting in you, that if they have questions, that they would talk to someone next to them and ask them about this good news and how they can know Jesus. We love you and praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.